Our general subject is the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And as we pointed out in the first message, this is the very definite focus of this conference. The word of Christ is the embodiment of the all-inclusive Christ. Colossians 1, 11, 12, speak of the allotted portion of the saints. That's a reference to the good land as a type of the all-inclusive Christ. Everything that this Christ is and has is embodied in his word. The word of Christ is also the speaking of Christ. In the stage of his incarnation, God spoke in the Son. Then when Christ was transfigured to become the indwelling Spirit, God continued to speak in the Son through the members of his body. And that principle continues today. Then the word of Christ is Christ himself. So when we are letting, and this is um, a crucial word, let. When we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, we are agreeing that the all-inclusive Christ, who is the speaking of God, would settle down in our being and make home in all of our inward parts. The goal of this is to build up the body of Christ and to perfect the new man for the carrying out of God's purpose. And here we need to make a fine distinction which is not theoretical, but which is important in truth and in experience. The body is an organism constituted with Christ as resurrection life. For the body, we need another life, the divine life. And the word who is Christ himself, is our life. That's Colossians 3, 4. And our points to a corporate entity. The new man refers to a person. A human being is a person. A man is a person. And for the new man as a person, Christ needs to become our person. This is Galatians 2.20. Not I, being the person, but Christ living in me, being the person. When we receive the Lord, He as the life-giving Spirit came into our spirit and enlivened our spirit, so now our spirit is life itself 
But that's not all. A person has come into our spirit, causing our spirit to be the inner man. That's Ephesians 3, right? We need to be strengthened into the inner man so that Christ may make his home in our hearts. When Christ makes his home in our hearts, that is when he becomes the person living in us. If he is confined to our spirit, our spirit remains the inner man by its very nature in regeneration. But we then, in practicality, continue to be the person. What we think, what we feel, what we intend, what we want, what we choose, that's the person. And this creates, actually, a very unpleasant situation because we are now a living, walking contradiction. Christ as a person, embodied in the Word, has come into our spirit and God's intention is that this person in our spirit make home in our hearts. Now we can see the parallel between Ephesians 3.17, Christ making his home in our hearts, and Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, and the word for make home and the word for dwell are the same Greek word meaning to make a house, a dwelling place. The body needs life. And for the body, Christ as the word indwelling us imparts life to us that we may live the body life. I believe many of us can testify that we cannot live the church life by our natural human life very long. It simply runs out. We don't have the energy. Uh, and that's a sign of progress, actually. This is one reason why I don't envy the young. I would not go backwards for anything. Uh, the best is ahead, not behind. Actually, we are doing the impossible in practicing the church life as the expression of the body. And for this, we need another life. And the word is life. Isn't this John 1, 4? In him, that is the word, was life. And the Lord said, my words are spirit and life. So we need the word to indwell us, making home in us, to impart Christ as life into us for the body. 
everything we do in the church life, and of course in the Christian life, requires another life, the divine life. And this is indeed a fundamental and even a drastic lesson. And eventually the Lord will touch our life itself and our confidence in everything related to the natural life so that we may spontaneously open our being in total dependence to receive the divine life in Christ as the Word. This is for the body. The body of Christ is for the carrying out of God's administration. The head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the head of the body is as Revelation, the book of Revelation unveils, is the center of God's universal administration. Even as we are gathering here, Christ as the head in the heavens is overseeing the entire situation in the universe, especially on the earth. He knows what the cost of a barrel of crude oil will be tomorrow. He knows what the results will be of the air attack on Libya, which my wife told me I, you know, I made the love call, and so just update me. Not on the news hype, just facts. Tell me some facts about the reactor in Japan, okay? Okay, the cooling seems to be working. That's encouraging. There is an administration in this universe. And the head, Christ, revealed in Colossians, is the administrator. But he carries out his administration through his body. He, everything you do, you do through your body. If you did not have a body, uh, or you did not have a functioning body, your head may be filled with intentions and ideas. You could not accomplish anything. Because the body is the organism to carry out the administration of the head. Our taking, our allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly to impart life into us for the body. As I will try to point out, especially in the second section of the outline, is intrinsically related to God's present administration. We are in, involved in something tremendous. This is not primarily a matter of our private spirituality or individual spirituality, but of God's economy, God's administration. The new man carries out God's purpose. The body and the new man are, are one thing viewed from different angles. You have a body, yet you are the person living in the body. Your body has life, but you yourself are the person. So viewed from the angle of the new man, the church, 
needs Christ as the person. And the highest requirement in the apostles' teaching for the believers is for them to realize the old man has been crucified and buried. We have been buried with, through baptism into Christ. We are one with him. Christ lives in us. And now we need to let him live, to let him be the person. And when we come to the first section of the outline on doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, we will try to point out that this means the Lord is the person in everything. The name is the person. To be in the name is to be in the person. To pray in the name is to pray in the person of the Lord. If this cannot be worked out little by little by seekers in the local churches, then practically speaking, in our daily living, we're the same as unbelievers. We have Christ in us. We probably had morning revival in some way. We consecrate to the Lord. Now we have to live our human life. We have to fulfill our responsibilities, whatever they are. And if we are the person actually living, speaking, making decisions, entering into relationships, then how are we different than an unbeliever? who also lives by her or his natural life, taking the self as the person, not praying, not being one with the Lord. If that is the situation, then most of the time, in reality, there is no body of Christ and no new man in function. that according to the outline of the book of Colossians, once we get into chapter 3, a new section opens up about a living in union with Christ. And that's where Paul addresses husbands and wives and fathers and children and bosses and employees, whatever it is. And it's in this context that he says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is for Christ to be the person. We are not imposing a veneer of spirituality on our human life. We are living Christ in the mingled spirit, living a Jesusly human life, 
in whatever situation we're in. This is a living in union with Christ. The more we are living in union with Christ, the more the head is able to transmit into our spirit feelings, burdens in prayer. Because we are one with the Lord already in virtue of the fact We are doing everything in His name. That means we're one with Him. Because we're one with Him, our inner being is open to Him. And the Lord as the head, who is interceding, ministering, shepherding, administrating everything, now becomes aware of a need somewhere with someone And you are available. You are open. And you pay attention to this sense in your spirit that comes from the Lord's transmission. And even while you are carrying out your human responsibilities, you respond. The Lord impresses you with a name and with a particular sense about this person. So you pray. When there is this kind of situation, the Lord in reality has a body on the earth. And the Lord in practicality has the new man in function. The church as an assembly cannot be, as we say, 24-7. Because assembling requires physical gathering together. That involves space. That involves time. So the meetings have to be dismissed. Even that marathon meeting in Troas. My rough estimate is that Paul spoke 12 hours. You can, that's, that's giving a whole training. <laughs> he started in the evening to break bread. He continued his discourse to midnight. That's close to six. Then there's the interruption with Eutychus. Any of you naming your little boy Eutychus? <laughs> um, and then they took care of that. Then Paul continued his discourse until dawn. So that's about six. Then they break bread after 12 hours. But even that meeting had to be dismissed. But when the church meeting is dismissed, the body does not cease. In, re, in, in essence. But actually it may cease in reality. If we just, that's all we have to do is lapse into the living of the old man by the natural human life. And since most of our time needs to be spent in human things, getting ready for work, getting to work, working, taking care of the home, so many matters, 
then the vast proportion of our day and of our life is lived as if there's no triune God, just us humans. So in order for the Lord to have a body for his administration, in reality, he needs to enlighten us, he needs to perfect us, he needs to disciple us to live a human life in every human situation, in the mingled spirit, doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that is, as the Lord Jesus, that is, living Christ. Now, some really, I think, good news, great news from God. It's not that I heard from God this morning in a certain way. The great news from God is in the scriptures. Did you notice (coughs) in our reading a very deep matter? That Colossians 3.17 follows Colossians 3.16. No, I'll give you time to absorb that. I mean, this is deep stuff here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. The word of Christ is Christ himself as our life, as our person, in his all-inclusiveness. We let him dwell in us richly, making his home in us freely. Then spontaneously, this indwelling word makes us one with the Lord in our human living. We are in his name. The word enables us to be one with the Lord and in His name. I believe many, many of us can testify the difference in any particular day when you have or have not touched the Lord in the Word in the morning. Is there not a very significant difference? that we're not in an ideal situation. We've all, for various reasons, got into our day and into all the responsibilities without much contact with the Lord. And we're running on yesterday's fuel, and so by 11, the tank is empty, but you've got to go on living. Uh, You don't have the option. But what a difference when you do the same things, you're in the same office, you're in the same traffic situation, you're with the same people, you have the same challenges with your health, your growing children are presenting the same challenges, yet you're in another realm. 
Your responses are different. Isn't this the case? Well, this should alert us to something. That the wealth is in the word. Receiving the word is a matter of life or death. It's a matter of Christ or self. It's a matter of old man or new man. And here I need to insert something. And that is a principle in God's economy. Is to dispense himself as our supply in small amounts continuously. I mean, how would you feel if you had to eat a month's supply of food all at once? That would be unbearable. And then to carry that around in you would be just unthinkable. This is the Lord's way. The way of daily bread. The way of praying without ceasing by breathing. The way of drinking. This maintains our deep dependence on the Lord. And related to this, that is why it's vain to get in the mind and worry about the future because you have the anxiety about the future, but you don't have the supply for the future because it's not the future. The supply is for today. It's not for tomorrow. It's not for next week. It's now. Well, the Word, aren't you glad we have the Word? We have the recovery version and accurate translation with the footnotes. We have the revelation that Christ is the living Word. We have the help to pray with the Word and touch the Lord in the Word. Do we realize... This is a life or death matter. It's not a matter of being a good local church person and having Holy Word for morning revival or to be able to answer someone's question when they ask what impressed you this morning. For you, is it a matter of life or death for you? Or are you still in the realm, this is something I'm supposed to do. This is part of our culture. This is part of the expectation. This is a life necessity. If I don't allow the word of Christ to dwell in me and supply me, the fact is I'm not going to do well that given day and living and magnifying Christ and doing everything in the Lord's name. It just doesn't happen. But when we allow the word to dwell in us richly, supplying us richly, then just automatically we're out of ourselves and we're strengthened to deny the self and to exercise the spirit. To do everything. Let's look at that verse again. Uh, I like to not rely on memory. Whatever you do. Okay, this is now action. This is living. 
in word. Every word. I fear and tremble for certain persons who are posting all manner of words on the internet, in public forums, often using pseudonyms. The Lord records every word, every utterance, every slander, every attack. It will all be brought up if it's not cleared up before. The Lord will say, do you remember this day and that time? I remember. I got the date and time of that email. You had this name. You were hiding in the dark. You slandered one of my slaves. You did this repeatedly. Were you one with me? Did you do this in my name? Did this minister life? We have to face what the word is actually saying. And not dilute it. Whatever. I'm responsible as I speak with my wife. Not only for every word. She is keen on tone. Wow. How how did you sisters get so keen on tone? Even the word is right. I don't like the tone. In, in word or deed, do all things. Study in the name of the Lord Jesus. Has that ever occurred to you? Now, we had an interesting exchange over breakfast. I take this as an illustration. I'm not correcting anybody. I wonder what would be different in the life of a serious college student if she or he studied and arranged their daily schedule in the name of the Lord Jesus. I wonder how many all-nighters you would have to have. Okay, to be a young mother is so limiting. And you hardly know how to be. Your, Your whole universe has changed. This one little person has brought about this change. And, and, and how do I be? Have you ever read Curious George Flies the Kite in the name of the Lord Jesus? <laughs> do you realize? The child has memorized the book. You've heard me say this. If you try to skip a page, you'll be nailed. <laughs> then you may ask, well, why do you want me to read it? It's not about the book. It's about being with you. Just imagine what is being put into this little one through the reading of Curious George Flies the Kite. Do we now have Curious George Goes Online? (laughs) Curious George has an iPod? I don't know. When the mother, I mean, really needing adult conversation. But she's not getting it right now. She reads Curious George in the name of the Lord Jesus and spirit and life are imparted to this little one. 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Well, this is not advice. This is not apostolic counsel. This is an imperative. This is a command. And here I would like to pass on something priceless and very workable regarding the numerous commands in the New Testament. Pray without ceasing is not a suggestion. It's a command. Okay, three steps. So the command is be perfect. Right? Matthew 5. Three steps. First, Lord, this is your word. I say, Amen. Pray without ceasing. Amen. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Amen. This is your word. Amen. That's the first response. The second response, if you have learned, is, Lord, I can't do this. This is your word, but I can't do this. I can't love my wife like this. I, I can love myself like this, but I can't love my wife like this. I can't do it. This has to follow the amen. If your first response is, I can't do it, a perverse logic will start to work. I can't, therefore I don't have to. Even some children that are quite smart, they will reason this way. I can't do it, therefore I don't have to do it. No, no. You have to say, Lord, this is your word. This is a command. I now, whatever I do in word, I must let you be the person and I do it in your name. I say amen because it's your word. But Lord, I'm not going to try to do this. I can't do it. You know I can't do it. Oh, if you say, oh, I will do it. From now on, I promise, I, I vow, I make up my mind, I consecrate. Which is really not a consecration in this instance. The Lord's not happy. Because now you trust yourself. He doesn't want you to trust yourself. So you say, Amen. This is your word. I affirm the word of God. That's step one. Step two, I can't do this. Step three, the Lord indicates, I know. Let me do it. Let me live. Let me be the person. I love the church and gave myself up for her. I can love your wife like this. It's no strain for me to do it. Let me do it. So I would apply this threefold response to this verse. We should say, Amen. Whatever. Amen. You do. Amen. In word. Amen. Or indeed. Amen. Indeed includes driving. 
I mean, someone asked, I heard someone ask, how long does it take to get from Milwaukee to Madison? The brother said, maybe about an hour, depending on how you drive. What does how you drive mean? Do you think that's, do you think that's related to speed? Do you think that is anything related to speed? But when the Lord hears, it depends on how you drive. He said, that's right. It depends on who is driving. Are you driving in the name of the Lord Jesus? As you are driving, can you sing, Christ driving in me. Christ driving in me. How about that? See? Don't you spend a certain amount of time driving? Then should that, isn't that part of your life? That 40 minutes behind the wheel, isn't that your life right then? Then will it be lost? 40 minutes lost? Another 40 minutes coming home? This opens up a whole vista. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's go through the first part of the outline, believing that the specifics now will lighten up. Allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly is related to doing all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. The Lord's name is the expression of the sum total of what the Lord Jesus is in his person and work. So it's all inclusive. When you're in his name, you're in his person, and you are a beneficiary of all of his work. In the name of Jesus means in the sphere and element of all that the Lord is. Does not the Lord know how to live in a large family? Does he not know how to work with his hands as a carpenter? Does he not know how to relate to every kind of human being, one-on-one and in groups, Does he not know how to perfect Peter and to perfect John and to perfect this one and that one? It's the sphere and the element of all that he is. The exalted name of Jesus is for us to believe into, to be baptized into, to be saved, to be healed, to be washed, sanctified and justified, to call upon, to pray in, to be gathered into, to cast out demons, and to speak boldly in. Now we come to the heart of this point. As the word of Christ makes home in us, the Lord makes us one with him. This is the key point. He makes us. We cannot make ourselves one with him. It will not be helpful to say, Lord, I promise I will be one with you today. We need a factor 
to bring this about. The word of Christ makes home in us. The Lord makes us one with him. And spontaneously, we can do all things in the name of the Lord. If it's real, it's spontaneous, it's unconscious, it's unintentional. Versus being deliberate and calculated and determined. I I find this very encouraging. I allow the word of Christ to dwell in me richly and the Lord as the word makes makes me one with him. How good you sense this oneness and then spontaneously we do all things in his name. The name of the Lord Jesus denotes his person. And the Lord's person is the spirit. Thus, to do all things in the name of the Lord is to live and act in the Spirit. If we exercise our whole being to take in the Word, eventually we will be filled, occupied, and saturated with the living Word, which is the Spirit. The word becomes the spirit in you. The spirit is the person of the Lord. Now you are in the mingled spirit, which means you are now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And now you can do anything in the name of the Lord. Anything meaning anything that God wants you to do. All kinds of things you will not be able to do. You will not be able to say. There will be texts you will not be able to write or at least not be able to send. But so many positive things. Now there is no separation in in our whole life between Our church life, our body life, our Christian life, and our human life, they're just the same. One time, um, uh, my wife consulted a certain brother who had this occupation. She needed this professional help. And he was very good at what he did. And I asked my wife uh, how it was and how he was. And, okay, my wife is my wife and she is straightforward. She said, he's very good, but, co- but compartmentalized. You'd never know he was a brother. You'd never know he's a believer. He's, he's now in this mode, just like everyone else in his profession. And functioning just like everyone else in his perfect, uh, profession. Then you come out of the compartment. But when you have a home meeting, or the prayer meeting, or you really have some vital companions, you're with them, of the church meeting, 
Now you come into the church compartment. Now I'm here for a couple hours. But I can't stay outwardly in this compartment all the time. I have to go live my human life. And then this, this, this we have structured into our being. This is habitual. It's habitual. We just lapse. I'm home now. No need to be in the spirit. I'm home now. I'm driving. No need to be in the spirit. Come on. Don't don't try to be spiritual with me. I'm driving. Then, then where is the living in the name of the Lord? Where is it? And if there's no living in the name of the Lord, then tell me, where is the body in reality? Who could even respond to any prompting from the Spirit. Because the Word is the embodiment of the Spirit, this is point three, and because the Spirit is the reality of Christ, we will automatically be filled with Christ and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't know if this illustration will work, but I'll try it anyway. Sometimes things don't work. And, but when you put gas in your car, what is your practice? Do you like put in a minimum amount like two gallons? Is that what you do? Uh, just enough to keep the needle from plunging way below E. Don't, don't most of us fill it up? Isn't this the usual thing? But I would like to make an observation. When we are with the Lord, uh, trying to have a time with him in the morning, it's rather rare that we get filled up. We get a few drops and but a few drops will not sustain us very long. Notice the emphasis in this point. Being filled with Christ. Why would we not simply have this as our goal? Whatever our practical situation is, Lord, fill me. I want my being to be filled with you as the word. Fill me, Lord. Then we will do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we are empty, empty of the Lord's spirit, which is to be empty of the Lord experientially, then practically speaking, we'll do everything in our own name. There isn't the energy. There isn't the supply. But we have to do it. You're in first year law school. The professor is now interrogating you. You have to respond with some statements about this case she's asking you about. You have to do it. But you're empty. So you do it like every other first year law student in your class. The same as an unbeliever. No God, no Christ, no spirit, no divine life. 
No body of Christ, no divine economy, no divine dispensing, no new man. Just you. And it doesn't have to be this way. And I would never give you a message exhorting you, then threatening you, then cajoling you. Please, please do everything in the name of the Lord. We can't do that. Our doing everything in the name of the Lord is an outcome of really letting the word make home in us and fill us. Then, many of us can testify, I believe dozens can testify, this day is different. Not outwardly, inwardly, our responses are different. We have the grace. We react differently when someone cuts us off and then turns right in front of us. Utterly unreasonable. But when I'm not filled, I have one line of response. You know what it is because we're the same. When I'm filled, I have another kind of response. It depends on how much of the Lord as the Spirit is in us. D, To be in the Lord's name means to be one with the Lord. To live by the Lord. And to let the Lord live in us. In our Christian life and service, we need to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, There are little people in this facility, right? Little people. Someone's taking care of the little people. Isn't that a real service? And what a difference. And we're not going to investigate or evaluate if one is serving with the children in the name of the Lord Jesus. I still have an impression. This goes back to the spring of 1974. I went to pick up my second son, who was, actually, he was in nursery. They had a nursery. And the serving sister brought Philip to me. And this sister was glowing. She was flowing. She was rejoicing. She was Sister Lee. Sister Lee, the wife of the minister of the age, was serving with infants in the church in Anaheim, children's service. What a supply of Christ doing that in the name of the Lord. F. Ephesians 5.20 and Colossians 3.17 indicate that we have been put into a oneness with the Lord because we are one with him. We can use his name and act in his name. When we are in the name of the Lord Jesus, we are in Christ. Christ is in us and we are one with Christ. To do everything in the name of the Lord should always remind us that he is one with us, that we are in him and he is in us, that he lives in us, and that we should live in 
him. But if your practice is still ethical, still trying to improve yourself, you will pray things like this, Lord, help me to do everything in your name today. Okay. That, that prayer really can't be answered. Or, Lord, I promise that from now on I will do everything in the church in your name. Why do you still do this? Haven't you learned? We can't do this. We're not good at this. We should say, Lord, this is your word. I say, Amen. I can't do it. Then the Lord would indicate, I know you can't. I want you to agree with me, but not to try to do it by your strength. Let. Just let. One dear brother said, if we keep letting, we'll all be letters. Okay, maybe that's how we become letters of Christ. Okay. Then in that sense, it's good to serve in letter. Um, It's so simple. Our part is to let. This involves a decision. It involves setting aside some time to take in the word. And the longing in us is, Lord, I want to be filled. I want you to spread. I want you to permeate and saturate every part of my inner being. I want you to make home in me, to possess me, to live in me. I will let you do this. Then it doesn't take that long. We touch the Lord as the living word through the written word. And there's this this sense of filling. Isn't it normal? If you've had a healthy breakfast, don't doesn't your body tell you you're filled? Isn't that normal? And that you don't need to eat anymore, that you're filled? It's like this. doesn't mean there is some dazzling experience. I'm filled with the Spirit. Should I do cartwheels? No, it's just, I just sense, Lord, I'm filled. And now I'm one with you. And I, I need to go about my day now and I exercise to be one with you now we come to the next section of the message through the indwelling word of Christ we can persevere in prayer and I need to say a couple things here then we'll read uh, through this part of the outline And please receive mercy to allow me to say something uh, basic. And that is, what is prayer? What is prayer? And what is prayer according to the divine view? On the one hand, it's so simple. You could say it's talking to the Lord and asking him for things. That's prayer. On the other hand, the requirements to pray are even higher than the requirements for the ministry of the word. Because of the principle of prayer. The principle of prayer is this. God in his administration wants to do something. 
But in this age of the church, he will not act alone. He wants his church, his believers, to be one with him in what he wants to do. Therefore, he needs somehow to communicate his intention, thought, feeling, desire to some open vessels. And these open vessels are one with the Lord and they allow the Lord's desire to become theirs, the Lord's intention to be theirs. And now it is what they desire, what they want, what they will. Then this is expressed in prayer. In praying, there must always be a desire. And we'll look at a verse, plus some others, that will make this more clear. Now, the Lord and we are one concerning this matter. So, I'm illustrating, and this happened in miniature yesterday. Some brothers are fellowshipping. What, what's going on in Montana? What's your feeling about Montana? What about Bozeman? Then what about Missoula? We come to Missoula. There's some feeling. There's some flowing. There's this sense. The Lord wants to raise up a church tree, a lampstand in Missoula, Montana. And we have reason to believe this is being infused into us. Now we pray in faith. For the church in Missoula. This is prayer. It's not that the Lord is in the heavens and says, let there be a church in Missoula. And then in some miraculous way, 28 saints come together and they're the church. There needs to be the response on the human side. Now... There are two main kinds of prayer. And we need both. And in a sense, the requirement is somewhat different for the two. The first kind of prayer is the prayer of personal petition. According to Philippians 4. Make your requests known. If you have a need... If you have a problem, if you have an unfulfilled longing, why wouldn't you ask the Lord to do it? That's sincere. All of us parents know when our children were real little, they would come and ask for things like, you know, could I have a pony? Did you ever say, when your child asked, could I have a pony? Did you ever say, why don't you care for the desire of my heart? And why aren't you realistic in your prayer? Don't you realize we're not in a rural area? We can't have ponies. Besides, how are we going to take care of a pony? And this, this, You would never, ever do that. It's so sweet that your little daughter or little son would come to you and say, Daddy, uh, may I have this? Of course, a little parenthesis, sometimes, you know, they're really clever. So before they make the request known, they say, Daddy, 
Are you in a good mood? <laughs> I'll tell you, that question indicates these little people have a moodometer in them. And, and they have learned they are less likely to get what they want if they make their requests to us when we're not in the mood for anything. But when we're in the mood, we'll say, yes, I'll get you a spaceship, I'll get you a yacht, anything you want. How about Arabian stallions, you know? <laughs> well, on, on this level of our human life, with so many situations of hardship, of suffering, of anguish, of perplexity, of disappointment, why would we not simply ask what is in our heart? Without analyzing your prayer while you're praying, like, is this permissive will? Is this perfect will? Is, am I following the anointing? Am I supposed to pray for this? Well, the Christian life is challenging enough as it is. Why do you complicate it? By all of this self-analysis while I'm praying, should I be praying this? Is this me or is this the Lord? Am I in the spirit? That, that? Just ask. The, Samaritan, uh, the Syrophoenician woman Her daughter is demon-possessed. She is desperate. Lord, my daughter, heal my daughter. None of this, well, if this is your will, and, and if you are so inclined to do it, and you are able to heal people, and you are omnipotent, believe me, the Lord already knows He's omnipotent. He doesn't need you to remind Him of that. Ask Him. Ask Him for what's in your heart. That's prayer. This is on the side of petition. Of, of petition. That if you're a sister and you're, you're 37 and you're not yet married, of course, why wouldn't you ask the Lord for a husband? If I were an unmarried brother, I, I would do, do more than request for a wife. Lord, I can't go on. I cannot go on without a counterpart. Then maybe I'll go too far, like you give the Lord deadlines, you have two months to do this, or I'm gone. And you know the story, two months go by, and you haven't gone anywhere. And, and so this should just be part of our normal fellowship with the Lord. And certain requests, He will answer, He will grant, Certain requests he won't, but eventually it won't really matter to you that much. You got the Lord. You didn't keep the thing bottled up in you. You opened it up to the Lord. You poured out what's in your heart to the Lord. But the kind of prayer we will emphasize here is the prayer of the Lord's administration offered through the church. This is the prayer to carry out God's will, God's intention, in his move on the earth today. And this kind of prayer, the enemy, he hates this. I don't know how much he knows. He's not omniscient. But I believe he knows something of the ordained principle of prayer. And that is, the Lord has an intention He has a will he wants to accomplish. He needs his people to be one with him and pray for it. 
but they are not able to pray for it until it's somehow made known. Then when it's made known, they are one with the Lord, then they pray. And the Lord fulfills their desire, and in this way he fulfills his desire, because his desire has become their desire. This is very sweet. Now, a verse that makes this clear in relation to the word is John 15, 7. Okay, if you, and this you here is plural, abide in me, and my words abide in you. Uh, Earlier in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. That's for fruit bearing. But here it's, it's for prayer. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will. That's ask whatever you want, whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. Well, some may read this and say, wow, ask whatever you will. Lord, I I want a sister wife. I want the sister who is a combination of of Miss America and Madame Guyon. <laughs> this is what I will. Some of you have heard this before. I, I may point out to the fourth term brothers, I, I know what you're looking for. This combo of Miss America and Madame Guyon. Let me tell you two things. One, she doesn't exist. <laughs> Number two, if she did, she would not be interested in you. <laughs> It doesn't mean now, oh, you just pull out, ask whatever you will, ask whatever you will. Oh, 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 I want a Mercedes. Oh, oh, I I, I want a timeshare in Maui. Oh, oh, I want to go on a a ski holiday in in Aspen. Oh, oh, I want to go on a cruise uh, of the Greek Isles. Uh, Whatever it is, I want my son to get into Harvard. Uh, Whatever I will. Oh, wow, I, I really like this. Well... You can ask whatever you will according to the words that abide in you. And the words that abide in you will give you a sense of what God wants, what He desires, what He wants you to pray for. And you can ask whatever you will according to this But your being will not ask you for a yacht. Your being will not ask you for your son to go to Harvard. Your being will not allow you to ask for a perfect SAT score. Now they've got another part, so it's 1600 plus. You can't. Because the words that are in you are determining what you will. And now what you will and what you want is really what God wills and wants as revealed through the words that are in you. Then you ask and it shall be done. This is an untapped 
reservoir for us. It's very sweet, endearing, and personal. Here, we love the Lord. We exercise to be one with Him, to abide in Him. We let His words abide in us. Now they make home in us. And the words communicate something God wants, God desires, God intends. And because we're one with the Lord, that becomes our desire. I can't pray your desire. I don't know what what kind of utterance that will be. It has to be something in me. Then we pray according to what we really want. Lord, we want a church in Missoula, Montana, within the next year or so. And as we're praying this, we have the sense this is carrying out a decision made in the heavens by the administrator concerning Missoula, Montana. Someone or someone's faithful serving ones in Irving, Texas, they, they were praying behind the scenes for my older son to go to the full-time training. And he, you know, he is trained to be a pilot and he wants to be a professional pilot and get jet rated and all of this. And it never came up. It never came up in my conversation. I never had the feeling to bring it up because I don't recruit. Then one day, you know, especially sons, they're kind of like this. They just utter things out of the blue. Then after they utter it, they they don't explain anything. He just said, Dad, I'm thinking very seriously about going to the full time training. I said, Wow. You're thinking of going to the full time training? And after that set in, I thought, Oh, no, he's going to the full-time training. The first dropout. <laughs> how can he, how, how can the one, the son that I know, how can he do this? Anyway, he made the decision to go. Then I learned that some serving ones that really bear the young people They had the sense, pray for him to go to the training. Redirect him. So he comes to the training. And he completes the training. And I can't say any more. But someone prayed for this. The Lord in the heavens made a decision. This believer in me, who you know, in a kind of crazy moment perhaps, consecrated himself absolutely to me. Now I have the ground to work in him. I've decided he's going to the full-time training. And he's not going to be a professional pilot, even though he's a flight instructor. He's not going to work at that. I have decided otherwise. He is to go to the training, and he is to excel in the training, and then he will serve full-time, maybe for his whole life after that. That's the decision. Well, at least the first part of it is communicated. 
And some begin to pray. They begin to pray. And then this wannabe Pilate, in response to prayers that he doesn't know are being prayed, then blurts out, I'm thinking about going to the training. Then he goes to the training. I remember the day that his Ford Mustang pulled out of the driveway. I thought, there he goes. What, what is going to happen? <laughs> well, let's suppose. Okay, there's a theological point here, but let's just not go there. But let's just suppose the Lord right now has a hundred important intentions to carry out. And there's no prayer on the earth. No correspondence. Especially in the church prayer meeting. That the Lord may intend to do something quite decisive in the world situation. But even in the prayer meeting there can be a battle. And saints may be praying, not in the Lord's name. There, there was one situation, it really, it, it shook me. This was the last prayer meeting before a semi-annual training. And it was the only time in memory that the church in Anaheim did not even pray for the full time, for the semi-annual training. I, I couldn't believe it. And one brother... He initiated, under the anointing, prayer for the training. And within seconds, a young sister prayed about something else that was subjective to her and nullified that line of prayer. And so, once we realized this, then we had to appeal to the sisters who pray. You have to make up the deficit. That when we are in the church prayer meeting... We need to be in the name of the Lord with the word of the Lord. Then our main task is to open to the Lord and to contact him. Ready to receive impressions from him. Now if the elders or the leading brothers bring forth some prayer requests, we take that as from the Lord. We just respect that. We take that as from the Lord. But very often, the Lord has prayers he wants us to utter that no one knows about. It's not on the prayer list in the church news. It's not on the schedule. And some of the most uplifted, transcendent prayer meetings have been meetings in which the head transmits a feeling about something. I remember we prayed for this for weeks after the 2000 election. Not politically. Not according to party. You can't pray that way. But there was a struggle in the air concerning that particular election. And the heavens had made one decision. And parts of the earth were rejecting that decision. And it took three weeks of prayer, like in Daniel, for the decision in the heavens to reach the earth. Please don't understand this politically. 
The Lord puts into power whomever he chooses, and we had better respect that sovereign choice. Now one other matter, and then we'll read through the, the rest of the outline. And I, I know that I can only introduce this. This cannot possibly be covered thoroughly. But first we have the word. Then we have the name. And then we have prayer. And notice in John fifteen sixteen, the second part. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Can we all admit in genuine humility that we don't have that much experience of this whatever? Whatever? Don't we have something wonderful to look forward to? Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Well, the Word dwells in us. The indwelling Word Causes us to be one with the Lord. We're in his name. Now we pray. And we pray with the faith. Whatever we. This is plural. This is the prayer of the church. Whatever we ask. In the Lord's name. The Father will give you. This is not an isolated text. Chapter 14. Verses 13 and 14. And whatever you ask. In my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We need to consider these. Maybe we need to pray and pray read over these. Lord, bring us into this. This is your speaking. Bring us into whatever. Lord, what is it to ask in your name? I believe increasingly, especially in the prayer meetings of the church, the Lord's Spirit will not tolerate so-called prayers that are offered in, in the name of the one praying it. The self can be very strong when it comes to prayer. Some sisters may feel, long as I'm praying, I can just express myself freely. No, not in this realm. You are limited by the Lord's word. You are limited by the Lord's name. You are limited by the Lord's will. We all need to be subdued. We all need to be indwelt by the word. We all need to be in the name. We are all honoring the head. And eventually the flow will come. There was a meeting, a prayer meeting in Anaheim, last fall. And excuse the personal reference, I don't want to be coy. I had gone to Jerusalem again. And I asked the brothers if we could go to uh, the Temple Institute. That I'm looking for a certain poster of the diagram of the rebuilt temple superimposed on the Temple Mount. And while I was there, I saw this postcard-sized magnet with a prayer on it, which I read in, one, in message 11 of the winter training. And you just sensed the burden 
in these Orthodox Jews for the rebuilding of the temple. Then in a prayer meeting, this is unpremeditated, and it was done in fellowship, but primarily under the Lord's direct headship. I had the feeling to share this with the church and then to suggest we pray along two lines. One is for the clearing of the Temple Mount, for the rebuilding of the Temple in Jerusalem. And then we should pray for ourselves that what a shame that the Jews are more burdened for the rebuilding of their temple than we are burdened for the building up of the body of Christ. You go to the Wailing Wall. You just see them praying there for centuries. Then a flood tide came into the meeting from the heavens. There was a sustained period of prayer, powerful prayer in the Lord's name for the Temple Mount because the Temple must be rebuilt. Antichrist must begin the tribulation by seating himself there and claiming to be worshipped. This is a necessary precondition for the Lord's coming. Well, we don't know how the prayer meetings will go, but I have this constant sense within that the Lord wants to do so much more through the prayer of the church to carry out His administration. I won't take the time to read it because I want to conclude within less than 10 minutes. But in Acts 4, the last eight or ten verses of the chapter, after some initial persecution, the apostles came together with the church and they prayed in one accord according to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was in them. And that indwelling psalm produced prayer in the Lord's name. And they reminded the Lord about the nations raging, rebelling against him. Then this was their prayer. Lord, grant to your servants boldness to speak your word. In the midst of this situation, Lord, we ask for boldness. Then the place was shaken and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. There's an illustration in the church. That psalm must have been in so many of them. This messianic psalm, this psalm of Christ. They came together, they were in one accord, with one voice, they are praying this. They didn't pray for the persecution to stop. They didn't pray for an easy situation. They prayed for boldness. I believe we have much to look forward to. There's a time, especially on the personal side, and with a companion, you pray whatever's in your heart. 
And you tell your companion what is in your heart. And you pray together. Why would you not? This is your real feeling. This is a real need. Why would you not? I know there's an element of mystery here. I know that at times there will be years and years of silence. I know. Why there is, I don't know. I don't know. So I tell the Lord, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not praying about this anymore. And that lasts about half an hour. And then it's in me. How can I not? Whether right or wrong, I don't know, but it's in me. As a dad, as a co-worker, as a brother, as a member of the body, this is in me. Why should I not tell the Lord that this is in me? That I long for you to do this. I don't understand why you're not doing anything. I know you hear me. You know, this is not exactly equal. You get to see me. I can't see you. But I believe in you, Lord. Even when you're silent. I believe in you. Even when you seem not to care. I believe in you. Even when it seems you are doing nothing. But there is this longing in me. How can I not? express it. And I found the Lord has never rebuked me, never corrected me for praying what is in my heart. But when it comes to the carrying out of God's administration, then it's not about my personal longing. It's not about my personal need. It's not about those whom I love in a human way. It's about God's economy, God's move, God's administration. And for this, he has ordained the ministry of prayer to be carried out by the church. And through this blessed coordination, more and more, he will do what he wants. I pointed out in the first message that in a very real sense, we determine how much Christ will increase in us. We determine it by whether or not we let. Now, the principle is the same with the prayer ministry of the church. The church determines how much the heavens will be able to do on the earth. We are the channel. And if the channel is blocked, or the channel is narrow, or if there are distractions in the prayer meeting of the church, the discerning saints go away from that meeting with a sense We missed the mark tonight. We missed the mark. So we need the Lord to minister to all of us, to train us, to disciple us, to be such a channel as he taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I illustrated already, in heaven there's no resistance, On the earth is all manner of resistance. The only hope the Lord has is the church. And the enemy will try to interfere with the prayer of the church. That is why 
And the Lord knows this was done in principle. In one of the messages in the winter training, I appealed to a certain category of sisters. Please reconsider your way in the prayer meeting. Because your way is a hindrance to the prayer of the head through the body. But if we are all willing to learn to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, that indwelling word will cause us to be one with him. Now we are in his name. And however the head communicates the burden, if it's through one of the elders, amen, or the Lord may anoint any sister or any brother who is in the fellowship of the body, and we realize we have to pray concerning this. There's one prayer meeting in Anaheim. It was necessary for one brother to exercise boldness and just stop the prayer because a number of sisters were on autopilot and to say, the Lord wants to change the course of the prayer. So we need to stop and be calm. And if we are, the Lord will anoint his feeling. And within about 20 seconds, some more experienced sisters began to pray for Boston. For Boston, Lord. Oh, Lord, Boston. Boston. Boston, Lord. So we're learning. But this is crucial. Let me read now and then I think I'll be done. Through the indwelling word of Christ, we can persevere in prayer. The way to experience the indwelling Christ, to be constituted with Christ, and to live Christ in the one new man, is to pray in a genuine way. And that is to pray according to what's in you. That's genuine. We need the kind of prayer that brings us into contact with the Lord. Prayer that causes us to be one with him in our spirit. As we persevere in prayer, the living person of Christ becomes our experience and enjoyment. In order to fight on God's side against Satan, we need to persevere in prayer. The word communicates, imparts perseverance into our being. Now our will is really strengthened and our attitude is we will not stop until we have a breakthrough. We will not stop until we sense we are heard. We will not stop until the faith rises up within us to declare, thank you, Lord, we have what we have asked for. That the enemy wants to wear this out to discourage us, to dishearten us. Maybe this... Some, one reason why the Lord puts us in situations where we pray and pray and pray for years and there's silence, there's no activity, there's no answer, there's no indication of concern. Maybe that's not in vain. Maybe something is being imparted to the body through that member of perseverance. It will be like that widow in Luke 18. We will not stop. We will not give rest. Like Isaiah says, we will not give the Lord rest. You will have no peace till you make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Lord, we will trouble you. We will give you no rest 
till you prepare your bride, till you perfect the new man, till you build up the body of Christ. But this has to come out of a real longing within us produced by the word. As those who take sides with God, we find that the whole fallen universe is against us. And in particular, against our prayer. So the experienced saints should realize if the prayer meeting is on Tuesday, don't be naive about Tuesday. We need preemptive prayers to cover the saints that whole day because the enemy wants to stop the prayer that God intends to release that night. Many of us can testify, why is it on prayer meeting day? This happens, that happens, this happens, that happens. We have to wake up. This is not accidental. That's why especially the sisters pray preemptively. Lord, in your name, we bind the stratagems of the enemy against the prayer of the church in Madison tonight. We will pray for the prayer meeting, then we will pray in the prayer meeting. To pray is to go against, okay, resistance to prayer lies not only outside of us, but even within us. That's why I would take the lead to say, if there's any area where I need the most help, it's in prayer. If there's any area that I feel the least victorious, it's in prayer. Now, having said that, let's just encourage one another to stand against the resistance even within us. I'm not in the mood. I'm tired. Whatever. That's why we need to exercise our will. To pray is to go against the current, the trend in the fallen universe. We need to remain in an atmosphere of prayer by continually exercising our spirit. In order to persevere in prayer, we need to exercise our spirit continually, praying at every time in spirit. This G is crucial. We need to respond to Christ's intercession by seeking the things that are above and by setting our mind on them. You know, it's really good that an email goes out. Okay, this dear brother has had major surgery last week. Pray for him. But actually, that shouldn't be necessary. If we are one with the Lord, and here is a housewife sister on December on March seventh, she's just going about her duties, one with the Lord, and then she has the sense, Lord, brother so and so, Lord, brother so and so, keep him from the evil one, protect him, supply him. Then you find out a week later. Yeah, he was undergoing major surgery while you were praying. Just consider what the Lord could do through our response. Christ's ministry of intercession in the heavens requires our response. When we seek the things that are above, we respond and correspond to Christ's heavenly ministry. When Christ prays in heaven, we should pray on earth. How can we pray? It's by the transmission, by the anointing. This means that there is a transmission between the Christ praying in heaven and us praying on earth. 
This is the prayer ministry of the church. Much of the future of the Lord's recovery will be determined not only by the Lord, but by the kind of prayer that we have. Oh, we need to open to the Lord. Lord, what do you intend to do in Wisconsin, in Minneapolis, in the Midwest? Lord, what do you intend to do about recovering lost sheep? What do you intend to do on your recovery, in your move to Europe? Lord, we are here to serve you by praying for your interests on the earth that carry out your administration. Through our prayer, Christ the head is given a way to carry out his administration through the body. Now please, having heard this, don't turn inward and beat yourself up. I'm no good at this. I'm probably one of the distracting sisters, etc. Let's all recognize we're a bunch of learners here. So let's learn together under the heavenly vision. I believe it would be so pleasing to the Lord if over the next period of time we just all let we let the peace of Christ arbitrate in us so we can let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Now we have the functions of the word. The Lord as the head heads us up through the word. We are in his name for our living. And now we can pray. And through our prayer, God carries out his divine administration through the church. And the key, the practical key, is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's pray for about a minute or and a half with our neighbor. Then we can have a good time of response in fellowship. But let's pray first.